pray. Amen. Well, all year we're focusing on learning the way of Jesus, and today we get to continue a sermon series, a new sermon series we started last week uh, on the life of the Apostle Paul. And we're reminded, uh, uh, we were reminded last week, uh, that everyone has a story. You have a story, I have a story, Paul has a story. Sometimes people in the Bible can seem like they're not really people, you know, they're just like these sort of... I don't know, they're like Bible people. It's like a different type of person. But these people were people. And so it's incredibly interesting to see them as people and to see that their stories are similar in so many ways to our stories. It's encouraging, it's helpful, it's strengthening to our faith to see these things. And God has the power and the will to take our stories and shape them and mold them and rewrite the ending in incredible ways for his glory, for our joy, and for the good of all people. And so that's where we started. Paul's story is a fascinating story, but it's also a great case study for us in learning the way of Jesus. Because Paul was a brilliant young man. He was born Saul of Tarsus. He was a Roman citizen and a Jewish man. He was highly educated. But in his time, before he became a Christian, he was a violent persecutor of the Christian church. Paul hated Christians until he met Jesus, and then he became a Christian. How in the world did that happen? Uh, what, how do you explain these things? Well, that's some of the questions. Those are some of the questions that we're trying to unpack with this series. And so today we'll consider the darkest chapter of Paul's story. When as a young man, zealous for the religion of his ancestors, angry, violent, unbelieving, blaspheming, ignorant, this young man, Saul of Tarsus, waged a personal vendetta to destroy the followers of Jesus. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, please take it and open it to the book of Acts chapter 7, uh, the end of, of chapter 7, verse 54. We'll put the scripture on the screens for you as well. But we'll read through this, this passage. Uh, we'll actually go from the end of chapter 7 into the beginning of chapter 8. We can do that. I don't know if you knew that. Um, but this is part of a, you'll see the flow of this narrative, this story. We'll read through the whole passage. We'll go back and unpack it because there's some context that we need to fill in. And then I'm going to have a good old-fashioned three-part sermon, okay? <laughs> We're going to see today the battle, the believer, and the beauty of a God who saves by grace. So, okay, let's read through this passage. Acts chapter 7, starting with verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. Okay, so if you're like, what's going on? Just wait, I'll explain that. We'll keep going for now. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. 
On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs that he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, many impure, uh, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. This is God's word. So the book of Acts is actually the second of a two-part series that was written by a man named Luke. And Luke was a physician. He was a doctor who became a Christian through, actually, through the ministry of the Apostle Paul, probably. Uh, Luke did a careful investigation of Jesus, interviewing many of the eyewitnesses uh, of the life and the ministry, ultimately, we know from the book of Luke in the Bible, to the death and resurrection of Jesus as well. And the result of that investigation are two books in the Bible. The first is Luke, as I said, it's all about Jesus. And the second is the book of Acts in the Bible. And the book of Acts is basically the question of after the resurrection of Jesus and his ascension into heaven, what happened next? And so it's really the story of the birth of this early Christian church and the spread of the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. And it's a wild book. I would encourage you to read it. But also, much of what we know about Paul's life and his story is found in the book of Acts. So let's start back at the beginning and work our way through this. So we started in this confusing uh, conflict, right? Verse 54 says, When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him, Stephen. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven, saw the glory of God, Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, behold, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they couldn't take it. They covered their ears. They were yelling. They rushed him, dragged him out of the city to kill him. Okay, so what is happening here? Well, I tried to figure, honestly, I wrestled with this passage because I tried to figure out where in Acts to start this story. And there were no good solutions because it starts all the way back in chapter 6. And while I would love to preach from chapter 6 through chapter 8, that's a long sermon. So we just kind of start at the end here. What is happening is this. Stephen was a deacon in the early Christian church, which meant he was a leader who helped the apostles with the ministry of the church. Now, as the church grew, it started out as 120 men and women, um, and then it grew uh, rapidly after the day of Pentecost. Uh, as the church grew, as many things uh, as many organizations realize, the, the responsibilities and the supporting structures for leadership rapidly were outgrown. They needed to grow as well. And so the apostles, they couldn't do everything everywhere for everybody. And so they added the help, they needed the help, and they added the help of godly men and women um, who served as deacons. And Stephen was one of the first deacons chosen because he was known to be a man who was full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith, full of wisdom, and this brother was full of God's grace and power. Now, I think if we had like one Stephen, we could do quite a bit. But this was Stephen, and he, uh, at some point, after becoming a deacon in the church, 
And despite his, as far as we know, impeccable character, he wasn't a perfect man, certainly. He was saved by grace, just as we are. But despite his character and what he was known for, there were men in Jerusalem who stirred up trouble against him. They brought false accusations against him because he was a Christian. And so he was brought before the Sanhedrin or the Jewish ruling council, uh, the most powerful religious and to some degree political leaders in their nation at the time. And in Acts chapter 7, Stephen delivers just an incredible speech uh, to the Sanhedrin. Just a regular guy, a deacon in the early church, uh, standing up and preaching to the most powerful religious and political leaders in his, in his, of his people, of this nation um, in Jerusalem. And this speech goes back to the history of the Jewish people, and it culminates with the fact that they had killed Jesus, the righteous one sent by God to be the savior of the world. And he might have also mentioned that it was the Sanhedrin who was standing in line of the people who had persecuted and killed God's prophets and were resisting the Holy Spirit, which I'm sure they loved to hear that input. And so, of course, they didn't. They couldn't handle it. And, and then Stephen, before the whole council, has a vision of the throne room of God, a vision of heaven, of Jesus high and lifted up, standing at the right hand of God. And the members of the Sanhedrin were furious, and they counted this as unquestionable blasphemy, saying that the man, Jesus of Nazareth, the one that they had killed, was not only alive, resurrected from the dead, but he himself was equal to God. That's what Stephen uh, was claiming to have seen a vision of before their very eyes. So blasphemy was deserving of death under the Mosaic law, and so this is why Stephen was dragged outside the city to be killed by stoning. Now, what an injustice, right? This, Stephen is introduced to us as, as, as a godly man, a faithful man, a servant of the church, and here he is being killed for blasphemy. He told the truth, and like Jesus, he would pay with his life. Let's continue on, uh, verse 58. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell to his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep, and Saul approved of their killing him. So it's this dark day that we first meet Saul of Tarsus, an enemy of the church. Now, we don't know exactly how old uh, Paul was at this time, but Luke says he was a young man. And we're guessing he was born around 10 AD. Uh, if, if so, around that time, Paul would have been about 25 years old at this point. And as Stephen was martyred, Paul guarded the possessions of those who killed him, but it says specifically that he approved of all of this. Now, later in life, Luke knew Paul well, and I'm sure Paul could share his insights of how he was feeling and what he was thinking at this time. But I truly wonder how often Paul thought of this day later in his life, after he became a Christian, because Paul, too, had a vision of Jesus high and lifted up. We're going to see that next week on his road to Damascus. And he became a Christian. But on this side of eternity, Paul couldn't go back and apologize to Stephen. He just had to live with what he had done in light of the forgiveness of Jesus. 
But at this time, it only got worse for the followers of Jesus. Before we move on, I just have to point something out. See how Stephen died. Who does that remind you of? Into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In life, Stephen followed Jesus. In death, Stephen followed Jesus. What a man. Chapter 8 starts this way. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Now, I have to say, we, we've really never seen this level of persecution for our faith here, here and now. We just haven't. Our culture, of course, has been steadily becoming more secular for several, a number of generations now, but people aren't being regularly thrown in prison or, or being dragged out of their homes for being a Christian. However, there are people in the world, around the world today, who do face this level of persecution. And we should pray for them, and we should help them if we can. But back then, after Stephen's death, something changed in Jerusalem. The cultural winds blew the other direction, and Luke writes that everyone except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea, uh, which is the region around the city of Jerusalem, and Samaria, which is, which is the region next door. So just imagine knowing and loving Stephen as your brother, as, as a godly man, an example, someone that you knew from church, and seeing him killed, and then having to flee with your family and just the possessions that you could carry, just imagine the fear and the uncertainty and the grief of that time. Well, Paul moved from a place of approval of this persecution to a place of leadership against the men and women who followed the way of Jesus. It says he went from house to house like the Nazis would do many years later in looking for Jews. Paul hunted Christians, no doubt to find more blasphemers to put to death. Now, at this point, if the book of Acts ended here, or even if our reading ended here, what would you predict would be the future of the Christian church? A brilliant young man in a position of power, seeking to destroy the church with all the resources of the state behind him. Not good, right? Might seem hopeless, even. But it wasn't hope hopeless. See what happened. See what happens when you scatter the people of God full of the Holy Spirit. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip, it's like, here's an example. Philip went down to the city, to a city in Samaria, and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. 
Now, this passage starts with one of my favorite verses in the book of Acts, which has several doozies. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now, remember who was scattered. Earlier it said, everyone except the apostles. So, these are regular old Christians. These are men and women who are part of the Christian church, who heard the message of the apostles, who were devoted to the apostles' teaching, it says in Acts chapter 2, who were devoted to one another, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They were devoted to worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ, who is risen indeed, and they were, they were devoted to following the way of Jesus. And when they were scattered, they just did what followers of Jesus do. If we were scattered, would this be true for us? I pray that it would be. But this whole situation might feel like God was losing control, but clearly as we follow the story of the book of Acts, God never lost control for a second. Because after the resurrection, Jesus had told his disciples that they would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and they were to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, he said, and to the ends of the earth. So back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But up until this point, they had stayed in Jerusalem. And when this terrible persecution started and the believers scattered, they scattered with the gospel. They brought the gospel with them and told people about Jesus wherever they went. And where did they go? Exactly where Jesus said that they would go. To Jerusalem, then to Judea, then to Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. And those movements are really what structure the whole book of Acts. It starts in Jerusalem, it moves to Judea, Samaria, and eventually we get all the way to Rome at the end. Saul and the enemies of God had tried to kill this early Christian movement, but God used their wicked attempts to make his story, his message, and his mission go viral. This is the redeeming power of God. Now later, Paul himself will become a man like this, a man like Stephen, or a man like Philip, or the other brothers among them in those days. One who would talk about Jesus wherever he went. I touched on this last week. Paul, you just can't stop him later in life from telling people about Jesus. You could throw him in jail and he would say, as he does in Philippians chapter 1, this is actually great because all these guards are chained to me and they can't get away from me. I could just tell them about Jesus all day. <laughs> what are you going to do to Paul? So here... One of those faithful men and women who were scattered was a man named Philip. And Philip was another deacon, just like Stephen. Now in Samaria and later elsewhere, Philip demonstrated the miraculous power of God, which often was associated with the apostles. Of course, this was prominent in the ministry of Jesus. He demonstrated this miraculous power of healing as a sign which served to verify the authenticity of the gospel message. God's message with God's power was highly convincing for the people. 
And despite the fact that Jews and Samaritans at this time generally hated each other, if you think about the, the parable of the Good Samaritan um, of Jesus, the point of that was to be shocking to the Jewish people that the Samaritan was like the good guy in that parable. Despite the fact that the Jews and the Samaritans generally hated each other at this time, uh, many Samaritans heard Philip's message and experienced God's healing power. And it says the result of this gospel ministry is joy. Persecution, scattered Christians, gospel ministry, joy. This too is basically the whole book of Acts. This is what happens after the resurrection of Jesus. Praise God, right? Last week, we, we started the life of Paul about, about 20 years after this time when Paul could look back at his life before becoming a Christian and all of the good things that he had going for him in his life, in his world, and say all of that was garbage comparing to knowing Christ but here we see that despite having the, the right family background and the right nationality and the best education and being himself very smart and very bold in his personality, he was lost. He was hopeless apart from Christ. He needed a savior. He needed Jesus. Could God save a man like Saul? The answer is yes. And the change would be dramatic, as we'll see in the weeks ahead. But for today, what, what lessons might we take from this dark chapter of Paul's story? How can we apply this to our lives today? Well, I have, I have three brief thoughts for you as we close here. The first is this. In this story, we first see the battle. Second, we see the believer. And third, we see the beauty of a God who saves by grace. So let's start with the battle. An important point to see here is that from the very beginning of the Christian faith, there is strong opposition. It wasn't this like neutral spiritual environment. It was a battlefield. And this fits exactly with what Jesus taught his disciples to expect. You see, Jesus called men and women to follow him. He called everyone to follow him. Follow me. I am the way. Follow me. But when he called them, all people, he always gave a warning to count the cost. If you follow me, you will need to lose your life in order to find it. If you follow me, the world will treat you as it treated me. If you follow me, you will experience pain and hardship for being a Christian. You will have trouble. But Jesus was clear. We shouldn't lose our faith or our hope when these hardships come. He would give us his Holy Spirit. <laughs> the very power and presence of God that created all things. He would give us the truth of his word. We would have one another in the church Brothers and sisters who can be faithful in support and ministry and prayer and encouragement. He would be with us every step of the way. So not if, but when the battle comes, we should not be surprised or, or panic. 
but trust in him. And stand up for the truth as Stephen so faithfully did, as Philip did, as Paul eventually did as well. And leave the outcome up to our good Father in heaven. If we have to move, we move. If we need a different job, we get a different job. If we need a friend, there are many here available. Now, I'm not talking about silly things that sometimes feel like persecution. The war against happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas and things like that. Who cares? I doubt that's what was happening in the book of Acts. I'm talking about real persecution, the the type of persecution that we see today in places like China or Egypt or Nigeria, where followers of Jesus are imprisoned or killed. But if you think you're following Jesus today in this neutral environment, welcoming to you and your beliefs and your faith and the expression of your faith in your life, that's wrong. It's a battle. But we shouldn't be afraid because Jesus said, take heart. Have courage. For he has overcome the world. But we should be prepared and we should be ready. Second, the believer. This is just, I mean, Stephen is an incredible character. Stephen's story, and in Philip's story, and in the stories of all these other men and women that we will meet one day, who were scattered during this time, we see what it looks like to be a believer in Jesus. Not just a Christian in name, or in culture only, like, oh sure, I'm a Christian, like all my my extended family are Christians. No, a believer in Jesus as an active, trusting part of your life. It means that wherever you are and whoever you are with, you have been entrusted with the gospel. You have the word of God, which reveals who God is and what he has done in the past and what he's doing today and in the future, what he has promised through his son and spirit. You have the words of life which result in the forgiveness of sin and reconciliation with God and the hope of eternal life and joy and peace and love and on and on. So whether we live today in relative peace and security, for which we can be very thankful for, or whether we too might be scattered one day, we are responsible to share this good news with a world that is lost without Christ. And look at the power of God at work. This is just one little story in a, just a collection of unbelievable stories of the power of God. Despite the battle, God is working powerfully among all peoples in bringing many people to faith in Jesus. The threats of the enemy are not threatening to the Lord. The plans of the enemy do not derail the plans of the Lord. Paul was not yet a believer, but he soon would be. And he too would join in this work of the gospel. Now as we'll see, after his conversion, he takes about a 15-year time out to go home and think about this and how he could have been so wrong and to study the scriptures as he was trained to do and figure out why he had things so backwards But when he would emerge from the study, 
nobody could stop him. Now, what we see here in the book of Acts is still happening. The power of God is still powerful. So, in China, despite the fact that it's an atheistic state, if Christianity continues to grow at the rate that it has been growing for the last 50 years, there will soon be more Christians in China than people in the United States. Did you know that? God is still at work. People are still being saved. Lives are still being transformed. Stories are still being rewritten. This is still happening. This is how it was from the beginning, and this is how it is to this day. This is where we see the battle meet the believer. And in doing so, third, we see the beauty. We see the beauty of a God who saves by grace. Now, later in his life, Paul wrote to his younger friend, Timothy, saying this. Just listen to these words. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. This is Paul's story. And this is the story of, of the whole book of Acts. It's really a story about the grace and the power of a loving God. And it's a beautiful story. It's, it's an incredible story. It's a story that every other good story that is told in film or in books or elsewhere, it, it points back in some ways to this story, the true story of reality, which is a story of a God that is beautiful. One where God is willing, there would be a God who would be willing to rescue his enemies and make his enemies his children and give these children his kingdom. It's a story where, where this God would be willing to send his one and only son, his true son, into this dark world and one where Jesus, the son, would, would be willing to come and lay down his life as a ransom for the many. It's a story of all of the, the, the glory and honor and praise that God deserves as a result of this saving work. It's a, it's a story that will change everything about you if you let it. So today, despite the fact that we live on a battlefield as believers in Jesus, we are people who have been wrecked in the best way possible by the beauty of a God who saves us by grace. May we never forget it or lose sight of that. May we never stop singing this, the praises of this God who has lived and died and has risen for us, for former enemies who are now his friends and his brothers and sisters who can live forever in his kingdom. His name is Jesus. Where else would we go? Let us pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, 
your, your story is astonishing to me. In, in your word, it says that even the angels like long to look into this, the details of this story, of this new work that you are unfolding throughout time and throughout space, from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth, even to Appleton, Wisconsin today. You are the same, and your power is the same, and your power is powerfully at work here in the lives of the people who you love. Thank you. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise. And we ask for your help, your strength, your Holy Spirit. We ask for your wisdom and your grace and and your guidance as we, too, sometimes face opposition, sometimes face strong opposition or even persecution. Lord Jesus, I pray for those brothers and sisters of ours around the world who are being persecuted today. Lord, would you send aid to them? Would you strengthen them? Would you protect them? Would you give them words to say that are true and lovely in the face of whatever they face? Would you help us to know how we might help them? But in the end, Lord, I pray, we pray that you would be glorified. Whether it be by our lives, you would receive the glory. Or by our death, that you would be glorified. Help us to face this life with joy. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.